1: Imagine that at the moment of your birth, when your body first experienced the sensations of being out of your mother's womb and feeling air for the very first time, you were an open canvas, a fabric of being ready for imprinting with the colors and the human concepts of life. At that instant, were you actually a blank canvas? Were you open in spirit, pure in being, and free of any influences or proclivities? What are your natural tendencies? When you ask yourself the question, who am I, first listen with your mind, then open your emotional heart. You may experience deep and unexplained emotions, reminding you of some forgotten memory of long ago, or dreams of something that you cannot recall or define. Observations of individuals tend to indicate that it is not precisely what occurred to you that remains with you as your reference system in life. It is how you react and believe what happened that matters as you define yourself. Rationally gaze inside yourself and deliberately examine your processes – You may learn more about the mysteries of your mind by examining your responses to the descriptions presented to you during W. Michael King's journey in his book, Atheists Can Get to Heaven, Perspectives from the Journey Beyond the Tunnel of Light. This work is an invitation to make an assessment through your own exploration into what might be a vast unknown, your inner self. W. Michael King's extraordinary journey reveals revolutionary discoveries that transcend across the physical into the metaphysical. By replacing mythology and faith with reason, the meaning and vision of enlightened spirituality for humanity is opened. Valeria Tellis interviews W. Michael King. W. Michael King, Ph.D., is a world-renowned leader in systems integration with electromagnetic waves and fields. He developed internationally recognized seminal research about how electrostatic field boundaries collapse. He has presented courses at major universities such as Oxford and many technology corporations serving an international client base in systems design. As a counterpoint to his scientific career, he worked with a chain of mentors to resolve conflicts of self-esteem that burdened him in his early life, and gained transcendent awareness to prepare him for a magnificent adventure with his body in the throes of clinical death. Based on his experience, recognizing technical instruction was insufficient to develop positive self-image within students and clients. He expanded his practice to become a trusted advisor, mentor, and coach, spanning the range from battered women to individuals seeking enhancement, to the corporate boardroom and the executive suite. His focus is to help others gain objectivity using reason and logic to build self-esteem, an issue that permeates every aspect of life. His many protégés have thrived in all aspects of their lives. Here is the interview with W. Michael King. In your own words, who is
0: W. Michael King?
2: (laughs) W. Michael King is just W. Michael King myself. I don't uh, hang any labels. I don't hang any conditions. I am just myself.
0: That's simple, huh? I have a few warm-up questions for you before we start talking about your book, Atheists Can Get to Heaven. So my first warm-up question is, what is life?
2: Well, life to me is sentient consciousness that moves from um, its organic origins into into what we would call spiritual uh, evolution. The first question of life is, does it exist, yes or no? If we say yes, then it's a question of how do we progress with it? How do we progress our consciousness to get from the organic state to the inorganic spiritual consciousness state? And that's a process that takes a fair amount of time and effort in order to evolve.
0: Yeah, I know you speak a lot about evolution, human spiritual evolution, that I have other questions about that later on. But for now, what is the opposite of life?
2: A non-existence.
0: What is real?
2: Well, in epistemology, real is knowledge that you can verify. In other words, epistemology is essentially the knowledge of studying knowledge. And that's a process of learning what is valid, what is not valid. Um, It takes what in science we call critical thinking. And that's another complicated project because We have to, in order to be successful, we have to shave off a lot of preconceptions about what all of that is um, so that we can get down to the basic roots of ourselves and then evolve from that. But that takes developing objectivity. And in society, it's hard to find objectivity.
0: And that's what it's real to you? Yes. What is the meaning of freedom,
2: Michael? Not being dependent on others not being dependent on conditions that hold us back.
0: Wow, that sounds good. What is your greatest joy?
2: Oh, dear. Um, In a sense, it depends on the dimension, but my greatest joy is being able to express myself freely, not just in terms of the organic physical sense, but in terms of the inorganic consciousness sense, the, that, that energy projection of consciousness where we can, where we can propagate our sense of ourselves uh, anywhere in the universe, anywhere to other uh, evolved spiritual beings. That's joy. Right.
0: Now you speak of consciousness. How is consciousness different from awareness?
2: Awareness is a process of consciousness. Um, If you're not self-aware, if you're not sentient, then you really don't have consciousness, right? And there are a few species that are known to be sentient, Um, organic species that science has verified has a sense of awareness, dolphins for one, orangutans for another. Well, awareness um, is about your own self and your environment. You have to be aware of uh, who you are, what you're doing. Uh, Again, that's a big component of objectivity, being aware of others. Um, Perception of awareness. Uh, Most of us have accepted sight and hearing and touch, the normal senses, but perception is a piece of sense that is not well discussed, at least in psychological terms, but we can be aware of others. We can have precognitions of others. We can have perceptions of other events or perceptions of others or others' presence in the sense of energetic presence. All of those things feed into awareness. They're all senses. And I make no distinction between the normal organic senses and inorganic senses or energy projection senses.
0: So in a way, one can be conscious but not aware.
2: True. Absolutely.
0: What is love to you?
2: It has a lot to do with freedom. I think that most people experience love in the sense of a joy, but they also sense, uh, experience it in the sense of a dependency. If I am good enough, so-and-so will love me. Or I will love so-and-so as long as he or she does the dishes or whatever the structural part of that is. Most people, I think, and this is just my opinion, obviously, uh, experience what I call conditional love. I will love you if or you will love me if true love in my in my sense is not conditional it 's not dependent love it 's a freedom of choice actually i don 't think of love as I will be dependent on for example sexuality for love I will not be dependent necessarily on gender or or I will not even be dependent on on If another person loves me or says, all of those things are dependencies. For me, to be absolutely free, I have to have the ability to love as a choice. If I choose to love you, for example, I could make the choice to love you, not in the sense of getting a return from it.
0: Right. I agree. You have to be able to love without conditions,
2: right? That's That's a big part of freedom.
0: Uh, do you believe in unconditional self-love?
2: In the sense of self-esteem, yes. You have to be careful with that kind of a term because uh, a lot of people would say, well, if you love yourself, you're narcissistic. No, that's about. So love is, first of all, predicated upon trust. If there is no trust, there can be no love, period. If there is no trust, there is no respect. If there's no respect, there can be no love. So trust is kind of the foundation of how all of these uh, other components of human sensuality work. If I trust myself uh, conditionally, then I'm a very frail person. If my foundation and my roots of myself would be very, very weak. If, on the other hand, I trusted myself and I knew that uh, I'm using objectivity in order to cross-check myself, validate myself. In the sense of epistemology, again, good word to use for this, then I have a firm basis and I can, I can love who I am without being narcissistic.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, a lot of sense to me. So it goes back to understanding and knowing yourself, understanding your own self.
2: Right.
0: What do you think is the world's greatest need?
2: Depends how you define the world. First of all, most people need to feel secure. Most people need to feel in control, some control of their lives. Something that a lot of societal uh, directions uh, try to usurp from them. Uh, And I don't care if it's a political cause or environmental cause or religious cause. you You know, be be very wary if somebody says, "I will help you with your consciousness and take you to to God or whatever." Uh, and no, by the way, pay me a lot of money. <laughs> but you define that in political causes. You find it in, you know, the planet is dying. Give me money and I'll take care of that. You know, it, you, you find these manipulations everywhere in society. I have a, um, one of my daughters is married to a fellow, that, a Jewish fellow. And he had a great line the other day. He said, you know, Jews invented guilt, but Catholics perfected it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs>
2: yeah, you might want mm. to edit that out. But the point—the the, point—is that guilt mechanisms are control mechanisms,
0: and that's true. And we'll talk about fear later. I have other questions for you, but for now, let me continue with my warm-up questions. What is the mind, and what are thoughts?
2: Well. Thoughts are the process of developing consciousness. Thoughts are the process of how the mind works. Consciousness, to me, is is spirituality. Consciousness uh, beyond the organic body is spiritual, by definition, spirit. So thoughts are a a process of uh, scientifically of data developing and feeding on itself and and coming up with consciousness eventually, starting at a very early point. I mean,
0: right. So the mind is just consciousness.
2: Well, oh, it's consciousness, but it's also perception, and it's also awareness, right? If you're not, you, you said earlier, if you're not aware, then um, what are you consciousness of? If you have no awareness, whatever, then certainly basic animal instincts—they're aware, they're hungry, they're aware of temperature, they're, but they don't think. In terms of I am hot or I am cold, they will think like I I have an instinct that I need to do something about my environment. I need water. I need that that kind of awareness. Basic organic functions. Real consciousness happens after the organic needs, the basic fuel, food, water, temperature, and so on, are taken care of and are secure.
0: What, where, and who is God?
2: For me, the metaphor of God. Is not a supreme being. It is the energy of the universe. We are all, every one of us, all, all beings, every matter, everything is made of atomic structures, subatomic structures. Every atom in your body is basically replaced, and this has been shown by science, about every 7 to 10 years. So 10 years from now, you are not the same being, uh, structurally speaking, as you are. What holds our what holds matter together? What holds our body together? Well, it's believe it or not, electric fields. Every in between every molecule of your body, there is an electric field. The from one molecule to another, you have a separation distance of about 300 nanometers in science, and the field intensity between uh, that stru- those structures is about 10 to the seventh, about 10 million volts per meter. The point I'm trying to make is that this kinds of kind of energy uh, that can be projected into spiritual energy, actually, that sort of energy is really electric fields. It's a structure of science. It's very, very well known. And those electric fields hold all of us together, hold all matter together. Every rock, every piece of wood, every leaf, every tree is held together by electric fields.
0: For some reason, it came to mind, the immune system. So I wanted to ask you this question. What is the immune system and where is it?
2: Well, the immune system is the distrib- distributive process of uh, counterattacking invaders, basically. the and, and it's an automatic. it's an automaton system. It's an automatic system. If the immune system senses something is in place, has invaded, that is not supposed to be there, it will attack it and try to resolve it. Those with a weakened immune system don't have sufficient power within the immunity structure to cancel out whatever the the offending invader may be.
0: Right. Does it have anything to do with the electric fields that you spoke of?
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, it does because everything, all structures have electric fields and including invading invading viruses, for example. They all have electric fields. The question is, can you do something in manipulating those fields? Now we're not that advanced in science to know that. We can use electric fields, though, and I write about this in my book. We can use electric fields to uh, change emotions in the mind. Uh, that's not well-known in society, but it is well-known in science. Well, I'm not sure if it's well-known in science, but those of us who study field structures know that. And it's not even new discovery that was, we figured that out in the late 1960s. If you stand in front of a waterfall like Br- Bridal Veil vale Falls and in, in, um, Yosemite Park in California, at the base of Bridal Veil vale Falls, there is a negative field intensity of about uh, 2,500 volts per meter. If you stand on, uh, near those falls, uh, not close enough to get wet, but just in the proximity, if you feel good, if you have a euphoric feeling like closer, my God, to thee, then you are responding to electric fields. You're responding very positively to electric fields. In the average American bathroom, if you turn on the shower at full blast, you will have a negative field intensity, about 700 volts per meter. You stand outside your shower, you notice that if you have a shower curtain, it drags toward into the water stream, right? That's electric fields doing that. And the electric fields are being caused by the water the the water moving uh through the atmosphere knocking off electrons as it does it so these things if you if you stand in front of a shower and just let your consciousness uh, relax, you'll feel good you'll feel good because that kind of a quiescent charge feels psychologically good to humans
0: it does it's so. Nature in general, yeah, I feel a lot more energized and better when I'm in contact with nature. The ground, the ocean, the trees.
2: Now, if those electric fields wobble in a certain way, and we figured this, we've done this experimentally, if those fields wobble at a certain rate, if they oscillate at a certain rate, you can can get blackouts, nausea, and disorientation because our minds are sensitive to the field motions.
0: Mm, yeah, because everything's connected, of course.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can make the, the simple statement that I think a lot, of, a lot of people won't have too much controversy about, uh, even though there may not be scientists. Um, I could say that our, our brains are functioning by a bunch of electric impulses, and they are. You know, it's a matrix of electric impulses. And if there's electricity causing impulses and consciousness to exist, And if you have other electric fields influencing it in the environment, then it's going to change the way the brain works. It's kind of like a complementary or interfering signal, so to speak.
0: Yeah, right. Also affects the thoughts, like not just the body, I feel better physically, but also my thoughts, Uh,
2: they tend to be different. Yeah, it's kind of like bias, if you want to think of it that way, it kind of, um, if you yeah, or tendency. Maybe bias is a wrong word, but a tendency to feel a particular way, or feel, or or feel feel either really um, euphoric in the extreme sense, satisfied in a lesser sense, or, or really uh, tangled up. You know, you can if it happens, if if the field structures happen that way. Yeah.
0: Um, so, continue with my warm-up questions. Uh, I think I have three of them here. Where is heaven?
2: Oh, heaven is a spirit. It's not a place. It's a it's a spiritual condition, uh, which is basically the title of my book, Atheists Can Get to Heaven. Heaven is an inorganic state of being where where the soul is free of the body and connects to other similarly evolved souls.
0: So heaven could be here now. Sure. Yeah. What do you think is the purpose of your life?
2: My uh, my view is the purpose of anyone's life is to develop self, to evolve self. I'm, I use the sense of evolution, but it's it's the same. To me, it's the same word as personal development. If we have a talent, if we have an ability, then um, we know we have an ability. Um, then, uh, to me, the greatest negative against self is to not develop the ability. Well, we all have the ability to. Expand ourselves into an ultimate spiritual state of of freedom, and that even means organic freedom in that in that the spiritual state doesn't need food and water and so on and so on that the body needs for support, so I think anyone's purpose in life is to evolve to that condition
0: right, if we get to know right that that's the purpose <laughs> it gets to live it oh sure, so my last question for this section, if you knew. You had a few hours in your body, and the world was listening. What would you say?
2: That's a challenging question because my first reaction to it is drop negations, drop, drop dependencies that cause you to want to control other people.
0: And that would be it. That would be the message.
2: Well, that's the first message because <laughs> I like that. Yeah, but you have to start someplace, right? Personal personal independence that that doesn't need some. Adolf Hitler telling you how to live and so forth, or, you know, or a communist telling you how to live. I mean, that's sort of, those are controlling factors, right? So if, any, if you can evolve to, uh, if society to evolve, to be organized without those controls, without those demands of being dictated upon how you should live, that wastes energy. So if you can somehow get a freedom beyond that, then things happen in a, a much more efficient way. You can you can develop things. I mean, look at the United States from a technology point of view. It's developed well because of freedom of thought.
0: So in a way, it's taking responsibility. You talk in your book, taking responsibility for our own lives and evolution. And that's a very powerful message that it's hard to do when we need to do the work of unlearning first. That's a great thing to teach children.
2: You know, against every bright idea stand a thousand mediocre minds.
0: Why did you write the book, Atheists Can Get to Heaven? And why did you wait so long to do it?
2: The, uh, I wrote the book because the concepts of the book are not really about atheism. It's about spiritual conscious freedom. It's about learning to be an independent person capable of love without dependency. It's about thinking for self and processes of learning to think for self and consequences if you don't. Consequences if, uh, for example, in the book I was very suppressed by an exorcist. Well, if you believe what the exorcist says and confiscate your own energy into yourself, bad things happen, including to your physical body. So I wrote the book to bring up those themes to cause people to think for themselves. And after most of the chapters in the book, there are observations, as I call them, which are more um, psychological discussions of what was said in the previous chapter. So I wrote the book uh, with the idea that it might help some people in, um, in the sense of self-development. That's the first reason. The reason it took me so long is because it's a terrifying thing to do. It's, it's so personal. I had to, in order, the, the book, Required four, roughly four years of a lot of energy, a lot of con- overcoming my own conflicts. So I had to push through myself and my own boundaries in order to write the book.
0: So yes, self-doubt, that's um, it's another interesting subject, which has to do a lot with beliefs, programming and all that. Um, how are atheists different from religious people when it comes to beliefs?
2: Well, all atheists have beliefs, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Replacing <right. laughs> <laughs> yeah. one belief system with another. right? Like the atheist who says, when you die, that's it. It's all over. That's, that's all it can be. Well, that's a belief structure that I know by my own experience isn't true. Deeply religious people um, who have a sense of, of you know, God and spirituality as dictated by the religion act and act. Uh, within the sense of how they comport themselves within the rules of the religion. And that's not necessarily a freedom. So they have a belief. They also have a dependency on the religion. They're not, they they need the religion to feel whole within themselves and to feel affirmation that they are behaving in a way that uh, is accepted. That's one of the things I had to overcome about the book. I had to, when I wrote the book, I realized that, I had to lose my fear of judgment from other people. I had to get to the point where I could literally say, I don't care what somebody else thinks about me.
0: What a wonderful feeling, right, Michael? It <laughs> is. A state of mind it to is to have. <laughs> what is the difference between beliefs and values?
2: Well, values can be within any belief system. Like if I donate if I donate something to a cause or to a religion or to then it brings me a value in the way I feel about um, myself. Or if I mentor somebody, it brings a value to me in the sense that I learn something from that that person. Their experiences, as they relate them to to our connection, I have a connection with them, those experiences enhance my knowledge of themselves, but it also enhances my knowledge of others in society. It's a value to them, particularly the battered women who had, I have some very deep crater stories of of females that have been in really, really desperate circumstances. And um, the value to them is they get to lead whole lives. Uh, The most significant of that required is what's one of the pro pro bono um, experiences, but it was 3,400 hours in five years. And out of that, I get a magna cum laude graduate who can lead, lead her own life. Now, that's a good feeling for me, but it's also a learning experience for me.
0: Beliefs could become values and values could become beliefs. True, yeah. They are connected. What about wisdom?
2: Well, I think of wisdom as being its epistemology. Wisdom is being able to decipher what is efficient for the human state and spirit and what is not. Um, and, you know, we all have heard of Occam's Raider, and the simplest the explanation tends to be the right one. And a lot of people get all tangled up emotionally. They don't know how to get to simple. So wisdom is, you know, the old, the, old um, the preacher, I can't remember his name, back in 1933, that said something like, God, give me the wisdom to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the things I don't, I can't change. The wisdom to know the difference, Right. Change the things I can, don't change the things I can't change and know the wisdom to know the difference. Well, that's a like that's a philosophical observation. So wisdom is being able to understand those decisions and and in order to have wisdom in that sense of that um, of that discussion, it's necessary to lose dependency.
0: Right. Is that possible to live without fixed beliefs and values?
2: Yeah, it is. And the the way that's done is to simply say and and this is a science principle by the way we have beliefs and values of things that we can prove right things that are testable things that we can demonstrate if we have new evidence that comes along and says uh, well that's true but it has some other component to it that's wisdom and and you know what you know that you can that you can verify that you know and the flexibility of being able to make a change. And I, I've, some years ago, I um, actually about a lot, a lot of years ago, around 1980, and without going into the detail, I published a scientific research paper that broke a lot of the it, – it was going to change everything about that particular little itty-bitty subject because it it was beyond all common condom. All common wisdom, and when I when I first proposed it in front of a symposium about six hundred people, I swear if there were six hundred people out there with custard pies, that I'll throw them at me. They, it was you know boo yes it can't be can't be can't be. It took five years for the international community to finally say I'm right. You know so I finally figured it out, and I remember somebody about seven years later, uh, or eight years later. Uh, in another symposium, came up to me, put his arm around me, and said, "We're very sorry, I apologize for the way we treated you. You were just eight years ahead of us so but that happens that happens in science it happens and it happens in 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 human psychology right. It's
0: fascinating how we reject anything that's unknown, that it's new.
2: Well, everybody thought we had to have rain gods." For rain and we had to go lop off heads and torture people if there wasn't enough rain to support an agricultural society the the inca and the maya used to do that the aztecs <laughs> so we need we don't need to believe in volcano gods anymore
0: okay. <laughs> In your book, you wrote, The extension and enhancement of sentient consciousness into metaphysical state of being is a natural progression available only for those who choose to evolve.
2: Sure, because if you don't choose to evolve, you don't do it.
0: Yeah. So how did you discover this?
2: Well, I had a lot of help with a group of holistic psychologists I worked with quite a while ago. They helped to get me out of my what were then belief systems that were very degrading. And and any belief system can be benefiting, but it can also be a trap. It can be a a prison. So they helped shatter those boundaries that I was clinging on to, um, which were ultimately very self-negating. But um, that's how I came up with that. So that's how I came up with the observation, because I experienced it.
0: Right. When you say self-negation, can you elaborate more on that, Michael, please? What do you mean exactly?
2: Well, uh, self-negation, a great example is is, um, depression. People who have a reflex to be depression, in, in my case, as I write about in the book, it was depression became a way of life when I was younger. The Depression was a hiding place. If I was so depressed that I felt that I had no power, that I could do nothing... Then I was basically hiding from myself, from the world, and all of my energy, and uh, was basically being self-confined into my own prison. Um, depression is a is a self-imprisonment, and that's self-negating.
0: That makes sense to me. Yeah.
2: And in my case, I got to the point where I was my I was having serious physical sim- symptoms.
0: In uh, one way or another, we do that. We go through the experience of self-negation so true yes there's one question you ask that's a powerful question you say what is the most important person in my universe and your answer was myself and that would be my answer too (laughs) but my question is at what point did you learn to answer that question this way without any doubt
2: well, that was a process of the same development that started with a holistic psychologist I worked with a long time ago. They, um, if I'm not my own person, it means that I'm dependent on somebody else to be that person for me. Do I want to be myself, or do I want to live my life through the through the images of somebody else? Which is impossible to do because you really don't know what the other person is going to say. So it's it's a statement of um, that that I'm the most important person in the universe. Means I take ultimate responsibility for myself.
0: And that has nothing to do with being narcissistic or selfish, right? Right, not at all. How do we know the difference?
2: Well, people who are narcissistic, the bad idea of self worship, I guess, is for lack of a better term, because it exceeds love. As a, in, my, in my definition, it exceeds the word love. It's, it's far more of an obsession to self. Being the most important person in the universe is not narcissistic. It's being, it's being free to be you. Narcissistic people are, are trapped. They're trapped in their, their own self-worship, I'll call it. I don't worship myself because if I did worship myself, then I'd be my own metaphorical God. And, and, and that means the belief system is so locked up, I, I wouldn't be able to make adjustments to it.
0: So how do we balance this, um, this idea, this philosophy of being the most important person, but also allowing others to be their more important people themselves and uh, and loving them at the same time?
2: Allowing, am I allowing other, the way you phrased it, it was like, okay, I'm the most important person in my universe, right? Right, right. Well, you are the most important person in your universe, um, that means you are an independent person. It means that I am an independent person. and two independent people collaborate together closely? Well, I would suggest that you and I are doing that right now.
0: <laughs> True.
2: Do I seek to control you? Absolutely not. Do I seek to control the way you think? Absolutely not. Do I try to impose a belief system on you? No, absolutely not. Do I give you ideas to think about? Yeah, absolutely, yes. But that's not... That's that's respecting that you are the most important person in the universe, and I am the most important person in my universe. And to the extent that we collaborate together, our universes collaborate; they combine.
0: Yeah, I love that the way you you said that you put that together. That resonates true to me. Um, what about control and choice? How do we know when we are controlling and when we are choosing to do something for the other?
2: Well, I think it's a question of dependency. Uh, controlling generally means um, establishment of some sort of a power link to gain a result. Um, if you pay me money, I will do this for you, for example. That's, that's um, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that as long as it's a value equation. But, um, but to just get power? No. You know, I have no need of power over anybody. Um, and I would sense that you don't either. the The idea um, you ask the question about fear. Well, fear is fear is usually the, the 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 concern of loss. It's usually a reflex of I'm going to lose something. Um, I'm going to lose my life. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lo- I'm going to lose power. I'm going to lose money generally fear is a reflex an emotional reflex of loss um but for a lot of other people they go into things like i fear how so-and-so person will feel about me or i fear how how my ideas will be received therefore i will not say anything about my ideas those are self-negating fears
0: yeah yeah so fear has to do Yes, do with laws, like you said, that's true. Um, so it's almost the sense that you don't have enough, so you're just holding on to the things that you think you have <laughs> in a no way. yeah
2: but it all gets back to that root that root question of dependency. You know, if I were dependent, on how other people felt about me, I would not be free.
0: Yeah, and that's true. And talked earlier about, yeah, controlling. So that's a very good subject because you have a lot of messages to put out there, I would call teachings, but some other people might perceive as trying to control consciousness and trying to change what is. Uh, What would you say to that? To all of us authors, actually, that's the work that I do as well.
2: Well, putting ideas out there like I think this way is an idea. It's not a statement of control, it's just an idea. In my book, I suggest a lot of things and I make a lot of observations that I see through my eyes or have experienced in in the sense of a report. This happened to me, This is what hap- this is what happened to me, this is why it happened to me, and this is the observation I have of the consequences of those events. That's essentially what I do in my book Um, and the challenges and how I personally overcame those challenges. Those aren't controlling thoughts. Those are ideas. And if people think I'm trying to control, then they're very frail and they're kind of hanging on a belief system that they're trying to defend.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So giving suggestions, it's Fine. It's one of the things that I try to practice myself is um, the understanding that everything is perfectly fine the way it is. We are nature. We are life itself. And everything is just perfect. There's nothing to be added to, nothing to change. Uh, Somehow um, consciousness chooses to to suggest (laughs) like we are doing. Uh, maybe we should do it differently. Maybe people should think more for themselves. Maybe we should eat healthy. That's the paradox, I guess, which life is anyway. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, you talk about also relationships. I found it to be very interesting uh, the way you speak of close relationships and how important they are uh, and they can help us in our spiritual evolution. Talk to me about that.
2: Relationships that I call are really connections. or are connections to resources where the ideas uh, of another person are resources. And and um, using a conversation, um, at the moment, I'm a resource to answer your questions. And, and this is a, in the sense of a relationship or a connection that we have right now. It's limited and defined to the purpose of what we're doing. But at the same time, um, it's an exchange of information, isn't it? It's an exchange of ideas. So relationships um, like you might even have it with a therapist or a doctor. You have a medical doctor relationship and to benefit you to cure an ill. Um, so, you don't any relationship can benefit as long as it isn't controlling.
0: What are the signs that a relationship has become a controlling one? Well, there is a party that's trying to control the other.
2: Well, when you're doing it for them and not you.
0: Right, right. But that that goes back to what you said, your main message. Yeah, take responsibility for your own life and walk your own walk, your own path.
2: That's a big enough responsibility for
0: us. (laughs) It's true. I never thought of that way. And that is so true. It's big enough. Wow. Yeah. Really big.
2: (laughs) A lot of people don't master it, yet they go off trying to think they know more anybody else no 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 no
0: no <laughs> that's a very good point yeah wow and that's the only responsibility really in my my understanding of life
2: yeah fundamentally it all starts with there just earlier today I had a conversation an email conversation with um, with a colleague and uh, who had mentioned to me that his um, wife was was having some depression problem and I said and I, so I simply said to him, I said, if you think she needs support, I'm willing to volunteer some time. And he sent me back an email a couple of hours later, and he said, No, we have it control. We know everything. Uh, I don't. I, I'm going to decline your offer. And I said, Then, 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 great. I said the reason for my offer was that if I perceive somebody was in trouble and I didn't make the extension and something horrible happened to them because I didn't make the asc- ascension, then I would have a responsibility. And that by by making myself available and having you decline means I've met my responsibility to myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's another great observation, yeah, that we can still suggest we can be available, but we cannot force anyone to change. That's a powerful, th- I heard something really powerful today that I, in a way that I never heard before, but I think it's an old quote that I never read really, that we cannot change anyone in the same way that when that person wants to change, you cannot stop it. Sure.
2: Yeah.
0: So I have another question here about beliefs. I probably should have ha- asked earlier, but it's right here down for some reason. Intuition and beliefs. So can Intuition replaces beliefs.
2: Uh, no, intuition is is a internal perceptual uh, problem. It can, or situation rather, intuition can tell us I am inspired toward some idea, or I am inspired toward a thought, or I perceive that Valeria is blah blah blah. Some something. Those are beliefs. Those are those are perceptions. Those are feelings.
0: They're feelings. Right. And you speak about uh, the present moment, which I have another question to ask about that. But before, most people talk about intuition as something to, as a guide, that the higher self. And you talk about the authentic self. So isn't it the where the authentic self lives in our intuition?
2: Well, a part of it certainly does. A, a, a very powerful part of it certainly does. Uh, that's certainly not all of it, but um, intuition is that idea that somebody, you know, a, a, a detective or something, says, "I, I intuit that X Y Z is a terrorist and is about to do something," you know, because of evidence or something, or by because of hints. There are all sorts of ways intuition shows up. Intuition can also be completely self-directed, like I wake up in the morning. And I can have an intuition that that Valerie, Valeria is going to call me today, without us without it being scheduled. So that, those are those are also perceptions. Sorry.
0: Right? Yeah, um, yeah. But intuition is something that I talk with my guests a lot. Intuition and listening to the voice of the heart. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's another term. And that, that's interesting because when I acknowledge that there's another voice or another. Um, higher self within me, I'm also acknowledging that there there's two two things happening or more than two even
2: well i don't yeah, I don't think it is being separate though. I think of it as being not very well integrated, but if you uh, people think it's separate because it's like it's a different voice, no no, no it's it's a part of you. It's a component of you that that is perceiving something that is motivated by something.
0: Mm, right. So do you know anything about the, uh, the concept, the idea of non-duality?
2: Uh, not in that term, no.
0: Okay, so let's not go there. <laughs> uh, we talked about unconditional love, uh, self-love earlier, and I would like you to um, talk to me a bit more about unconditional self-love.
2: Well, R- 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 Rene Dakar said something like, I think, therefore I am. Well, that's an unconditional statement it's not an emotional statement it's a factual statement i think therefore i am well that's consciousness isn't it it's sentient isn't it it's it's a self awareness isn't it so that's kind of a root that's a root bearing of anybody so now that you think and now that you know that you are now that you're aware that you are what do you do with it
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah right what do you do with it good question Uh, Good question. So I guess my next question, so what do we do with it? What is is to live? What is to be evolved? What is to be there? What is the destination?
2: Well, in in my near-death experience, I experienced sentient consciousness absent the body. And that, for those who can get to that stage, it is... A continuation that doesn't have a boundary of the physical body and that to me is a goal.
0: To live that way for eternity or to come back in
2: the body? No, no. Who would want to come back?
0: Right. <laughs> who, who
2: wants to come back? Why Why on earth? If, if I think I had to come back, if I actually believe that, then I wouldn't be <laughs> motivated to do the best job I could the first time around. I mean, that's uh, a... That's a carpet. Oh, I can come back and fix it later. No,
0: you can't. <laughs> right, right. So what is the idea of the soul? So the soul being this entity or this part of us that lives on? No,
2: no, no. The soul is consciousness. The, the, skull, the soul is just consciousness. That's all it is. It's consciousness directed beyond the body. Okay, so
0: beyond the body. And then, so there's just one thing, right, Michael? They are not, there's just consciousness. There's just one consciousness.
2: Now, there's no duality in saying I have a soul, I have a body. No, that's not the way that. The body provides enough energy to power the consciousness. And if the consciousness can release itself of all the burdens and conditions and dependencies and so forth, then it can be free to migrate um, um, to, um, beyond the body. Propagate beyond the body, I guess is a better way of saying it. Right.
0: There's no specific destination for that.
2: Well. If you're self-directed, you can direct it. You can make a destination as you go along if you have a road map.
0: I did. That really makes a lot of sense. But that also means having so much awareness yeah, of that, that piece of a consciousness.
2: <laughs> well, remember, there's we know about electromagnetic fields. Because to me, consciousness is just quantum electrodynamics. It's, it's a very complicated science um, that... By the way, every quantum experiment ever run, quantum mechanics experiment, has always proven itself. It has never failed. Uh, as it's, it's, it gets to the point of being so, so magical. It's like it's spiritual, but it is physical, and it has never failed, not, not ever. Um, but we know some things about, about electromagnetic waves. So let me project this. Imagine that consciousness is simply a quantum electrodynamic form of energy, which in science it happens to be. Now, suppose this electrodynamic form of energy um, projects itself beyond the body, like a, like a transmitting signal. Something we know, and this is hard science, something we know about electromagnetic energy, once it propagates into space, it goes Forever. Ever. It doesn't stop. It goes forever. And we the the light we see from billions of light years away that is coming to us in the universe. That light is electromagnetic energy. A lot of people don't know that, that light is electromagnetic wavelength. So if the consciousness is a a quantum electrodynamic form of energy and it projects beyond the body, it goes forever.
0: Right. And could be transformed into anything. Yep. Wow. So in a way, what we call God, it's just the experience of these... um, electric fields of the consciousness, just experience itself.
2: It's so many. One, of, one of the funny things about religion is they tell you that you have to worship this all-powerful God. Well, if God is all-powerful, why does he need these puny little itty-bitty inconsequential humans to worship him? Yeah, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> And if, God, um, if yeah. God knows, and this was my big problem with the priest, I write about this in the book in, uh, in sixth grade, if God knows everything, as religions tell us that God does. If God knows everything, he knows if we're going to go to heaven and hell in their definition of, of that. Well, if he knows that, what's the purpose of living? Because we it's already known. Mm,
0: yeah.
2: Does this make sense? Right,
0: right.
2: Not to me, it doesn't. So.
0: No, yeah, of course
2: not. So either he doesn't know everything and He therefore not the God they claim he is, or she as the case may be. So either that's true or he doesn't exist at all which is, I'm, I'm extremely spiritual. I just don't happen to have to have a God around to, uh, to do it.
0: Right, right, right. And you're right, because beliefs, that is really a challenging idea to, uh, to understand.
2: We don't, we don't need a rain God anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: it, I love the way when I asked you where is heaven. Yeah, there's no heaven. It's here. The same thing is with hell. So heaven and hell, is, it's here now. True. I love that. I love everything about the things you say because it makes sense and resonates with the heart, which I call that place in, in consciousness, in ourselves, that is, it feels the truth.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I use the body, by the way, um, and I write about this in the book, um, in the latter, latter section of the book because uh, the book is divided into two sections. One is my journey, which is journey beyond way beyond the tunnel of life And while my body's in cycling the clinical death drain. the uh, but the second is is the perspectives uh, which are which is not about the journey, it's about an analysis of the journey. and that's in in technical terms, we' call it kind of pedantic, pedantic pedantic. But the general idea of this whole thing is that uh, it's all very, very real. It's all very available to us. And we can move through these various layers of of barriers that we ourselves create and, and are not even aware that unawareness is one of the biggest problems. We don't know necessarily that they're in our way until we bang into them enough times so that, so that um, we have to find some other approach to use.
0: Right, right, so I guess coming to my last questions to you, one of which is um how does it feel to
2: be free? Uh, it's freedom is you asked me about joy being free is, it's elation it's it's uh, it's happiness,
0: <laughs> yeah, and
2: today it it's, it's to be unencumbered
0: that's beautiful, so my final questions, how do you define success? What is to be successful in a human body
2: um to accomplish the mission of whatever the mission may be. I mean, we can, if we remove dependencies, a lot of the, a lot of very wealthy people are very successful in the temporal ground of, of, of um, structure and, and money and so on. But those who are obsessed with money are very dependent people. They may not spiritually evolve at all. anymore. an alcoholic can get out of being an alcoholic uh, without some help in AA or something like that. So uh, uh, people are really strange or no, complicated in the sense of dependencies they can form. They can form it on uh, religion. They can form it on religion in the sense of that uh, is being accepted by others. They comport themselves in a way their religion tells them they must do to be accepted by the religious group. And that's dependency. So people have, can have all kinds of dependencies, all kinds of things, including money. So to me, success is achieving goals. But first, we have to, in order to know that we've achieved the goals, we have to understand in our consciousness, in our epistemology, if the goals are efficient for us, if they're the, if they're the right sense of what we're trying to accomplish in the broadest sense of our beings. Then a lot of people don't have a clue what that means.
0: True. It's so fascinating the way you speak of dependency to me. Um, so I'm just wondering, I know it's easy to tell when we are dependent on something, when it becomes an obsession, an addiction or a habit, bad habit especially. But what are the, so my question is, what are the, uh, the subtle forms of dependency that we might miss, miss out?
2: Well, I started to say that I use the body as, as a, as kind of warning signs, right? Um, uh- the physical that we're doing something wrong, or that we're challenged, or we're in fear, or we're, um, or we know on that instinctual level, we know that what we're doing or about to do is is just wrong. The body will respond to that before the mind grasps it. Now, sometimes the heart rate will go up. Sometimes we'll feel very, very cold and, and trembling even uh, because the, the energy, uh, when we're doing something like that in the, in, the, in the body, the body responds. Sometimes it's a, a spasm or a, 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 a flash pain in the, in the neck or shoulders or like a spasm like that. So the body will almost always respond. So I try, to, I try to have people understand that their body can be a warning signal for their consciousness about how they're about to act. Um, so, a lot of people who are actors that are gonna go on stage for the first time um, are overcoming something and their bodies will be responding. They'll be shaking or trembling or basically uh, fearsome of what they're about to do. So, these are things they have to overcome, you know? So the body does, is a very useful tool in that respect, so.
0: Yeah. It's true, yeah, and it has been said the body cannot lie, right? right. It's, really, it's a very truthful yeah, tool, I agree. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, Michael?
2: The idea that I had fallen into this trap for decades of withdrawal as a hiding place, and the biggest challenge was to lose that and and thrive. That was probably the biggest self-confrontation I had to do because it was an addiction.
0: It was harder to tell, right, to discover. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, because a lot of addicts don't know they're addicted.
0: Oh, true. Yeah, that's, yeah.
2: And it's as simple as that, really. It's a statement. It's, it's simple to say, but, but if you're addicted to being self-negating, uh, I listen to people respond to certain things like, I can't do that. Well, there are a few things I cannot do. I cannot pick up an elephant and throw the elephant. That's beyond my paper. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. But other things that don't involve that sort of physical structure, I really mean won't. If somebody says to you, Valeria, I can't do that. It probably means they won't do that. So then why not?
0: Right. And some people won't even answer that question if you ask them, (laughs) why not?
2: Yeah. They won't know to answer the question or ask the question.
0: Right, right.
2: So one of the things I look for when I mentor people is very simple. uh, When they just say can't to me, why not?
0: Yeah, why not? All we have is possibilities, really. So many. I mean, it's, it's infinite. And that's. Fascinating, not to tap into it, or not even know about it. Right? It's true. If you knew you would die soon, losing the body, would you make any change about your life or do anything differently? No. Nothing. Nothing. No. Wow, that's wonderful.
2: I've got nothing. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to. I've I've got no bucket list. I've lived a very full life, and I'm done with it
0: yeah that what what says to me is that die before we die really that's what it means uh-huh. so the last question is what are three things about life you know for sure as of today?
2: Well, I know that my consciousness is my soul. I know that my goal in life is to evolve myself to the ultimate extent that I am able and and I know for absolutely sure that anything self negating detracts me from that goal.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for the great conversation, Michael. It has been informative, it has been peaceful and true, genuine. Thank you.
2: Hey, we've had the challenge of the iPhone and audio communication.
0: Oh yeah, that's part of um that's part of it. <laughs> um where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Uh, well, I really don't maintain a website. I, I have one for my technical work. I have a website www.wmichaelking.com, which carries a burden of um, my TV and history and some things like that, and a sense of professional life. Uh, other than that, um, the um, other than that, everything anybody really needs to know about me is all in the book. Just things like, you know, doctorate degrees and all that really don't matter.
0: Thank you so much again, Michael, and we'll talk soon.
2: You're welcome, Joey, talking to you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Bye for now.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about W. Michael King, please visit his website, AtheistsCanGetToHeaven.com.